Hi, welcome to Not Great. This is the podcast where we swim around inside of all of the trash that surrounds us like an enemy, and we're Nemo, and we're just getting immune to it by taking baths in poison all the time. Oh, good. I'm Bethy Squires, and I'm with Jamie Loftus. Hi, thank you for having me. Comedian? Comedian. Journalist. Journalist. Podcaster. Podcaster. Frequent podcast guest. Frequent. I am fully triggered by the use of someone I, I was I was saying this the other day someone uh was, was asking me and they're like oh what are you doing later today I was like oh I have to go record a podcast and they were like oh yeah you're a frequent podcast guest like like that was the worst and I don't like identifying because that's it just feels wrong it feels gross and but they they literally said it like I was about to like go skull fuck someone it was like <laughs> Very uncool. They were there. Oh, frequent podcast. What What do you think is wrong with being a podcast or a podcast guest? I think it's guest. Really? I feel like it's worse to host a podcast than to be a frequent guest. I, you're probably right. I don't know what it is about like, but somehow the like frequent podcast triggered, but for somehow guest is like a twist of the knife in some way hmm. that I can't. Maybe it's a personal thing. Well, but like you can't even podcast. get your shit together enough to get hosting fees, or right? Something. They're right. They're like, uh, do you, is that how you pay your rent by showing up and running your stupid mouth? Like, I don't know. I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm a frequent frequent podcast guest. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to have triggered you so early. Listen, it's fine. It's in totally the show. Fine. So it's what totally we do. Fine. What we do here at Not Great is we pick something that the general consensus is that that thing is not great. Right. And we say, oh, no, no. Au contraire. Actually, it is great. Actually, in fact, pretty good. Right. Maybe it isn't great. Maybe it's just good or personally revelatory. Acceptable. Okay. I know. Right. And then something that people say is great and we say, "Mm, it's not that great. Right. So you have brought to us today Mm -hmm. on the docket. Mm Mm-hmm. Fan of the Opera, 2004. 2004. Parentheses, 2004. Very important. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. So that is something that everyone says is bad, but in reality is actually a, fa- a fascinating study uh, in what I think a fascinating study in mediocrity mm. and self-sabotage. To oh. the point of, like, basically performance art. That's interesting. So what um, – I have not seen – Phantom of the Opera 2004. I um, tried to watch the musical beautiful. once and I got kind of bored. That's uh, fair. I also just decided to change the other thing I brought. Also fine. Okay. Wow. But um, live podcasting. I'm sorry. I'm a frequent podcast guest. I'll just, I'm a loose I'm cannon. I'm just rolling with I it. I can't be controlled. <laughs> <laughs> the content's just coming fast and uh, loose. Content. Uh, content. Content. Okay. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so are you familiar with the story? I am because I've read a book that is like a weird quasi-novelization of it or like a parody of it that is one of my favorite books of all time. What is it? Uh, It's called Masquerade. Oh my God, that's literally named after one of the musical numbers. It is a fantasy novel by Uh Terry Pratchett set in the (gasps) Discworld universe. Cool. And it is... Terry Pratchett's a trip. He was so good. Yeah. So good. Rest but, in paradise. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in power, Terry Pratchett. Um, he is, so it's about, like, the witches, um, one member of their coven or whatever uh, decides, like, fuck this witch bullshit. I'm going to go become a star. But because she's... In the French opera? In, well, Ockmorfork opera, but yes. Uh, and, <laughs> but she winds up in the chorus because she's fat. And they wow. they pick the Christine is is this pretty thin girl, and then she winds up like Media dubbing her too. basically. Oh whoa, so that's she, like what happens to Minnie Driver in Phantom of the Opera two thousand four. See, this is what I'm saying. So it's just that, and then there is like there's the ghost, there's wow. the whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a story about class study, and it's how one of the ways that I figured out, you know, if someone says you have great hair, it means they think you're fat. Really? Yeah, it's that's the thing that they can compliment. They're like, about "What here. can I go to?" Yeah. Oh, that's some high level uh, deception and trickery. Speaking of high level deception and trickery, <gasps> oh, we I'm were talking <laughs> before before the podcast started. Um, I was talking to Jamie about the last time that I saw her and how I wanted to say hi, but I just ran away and hid instead. Every second of my life, I am doing this. So my reason for doing that is because I was uh, 
expertly bullied as an elementary schooler. It was like higher level emotional bullying. Whoa. Like, than, wait, wait, it was a private school. So they were like really advanced bullying tactics. Wow. Like Montessori bullies. It was a Montessori school. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Wow. So this, this That's is cool. This is, is Montessori cool or lame? Oh, God. It's so much. It's just a lot. The. It depends on what you think the objective of school should be. Oh, wouldn't that be... <laughs> Is it to teach what? humans how to be humans? Because children are sociopaths until you tell them not to. Right. Or is it to teach them math? Or is it to teach them intellectual curiosity? Montessori is good at the last two and sucks ass at the first one. At teaching you how to be a person? Yes, because there's yeah. no adult supervision. So you... Learn a lot because you so just like, learn what you feel like learning. Just like and a Lord of the Flies kind of vibe. Yeah. To the interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I liked, I didn't like being yelled at, but I liked uh, watching people around me be yelled at. <laughs> that was fun. So, uh, in, like, if you were good enough, if you got enough of your work done, you could um, be in the library without any adult supervision wow. in elementary school. And so all of the girls were there hanging out, working unsupervised. And one of them said, oh, my God, can you believe Daniel weighs over 100 pounds? He's such a fat tub of lard. Because children. And then another kid said, oh, my God, how dare you say that? There are people in this room right now who weigh more than 100 pounds. Bethy, if you want to go outside and, like, take a minute, we would all totally understand whoa that's advanced okay. bullying she should be in prison but she should also get a medal you know like, <laughs> right that's so i didn't for know most child in prison be that's the that passive aggressive <laughs> that's so, crazy so she also had a secret birthday party that she would not invite me to of course and every other kid in the school was invited except for me so everyone in the school kept that secret from me and all of the parents kept that secret from me until the last day of school that's Horrifying. And I confronted her at the end of school uh-huh. skating rink thing. So that's why I don't believe oh, people drama. like me. Okay. Okay. I well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think anyone. I was thinking about an insult I got uh, in dance class like 15 years ago, where <laughs> someone was like, "Jamie, you're a dumb giraffe, white, tra- and you're white trash, and your only friends are your cousins." Which, with the exception of dumb giraffe, is all true. <laughs> So I was white trash, and my only friends were my cousins, I and it I was, was closer with my cousins. Uh, my cousins and I—I I mean, that is kind of the pro of being white trash—is mm. that your family can't afford to leave the same like one-mile radius, <laughs> so you're all super close together forever. I went to prom with one of my cousins. To be fair, I went to her prom. She did not go to mine. I brought uh, gay men to my prom. Thank you very much. One year, I brought two gay men. <laughs> <laughs> That was a personal high score. So Phantom of the Opera 2004 is directed by Joel Schumacher. (laughs) Okay, Joel Schumacher is, I would, I guess I would say I'm a fan of his. I am too. Because I really, like, he is, like, right up there in terms of, like, peak male mediocrity. I mean, he's as mediocre as other white male mediocre icons, such as... Uh, Carson Daly, Seth Meyers, those kind of guys. But the difference with Joel Schumacher is Joel Schumacher is both extremely mediocre, but also trying so hard. And Mm -hmm. he's like going for something in a serious way and never like quite hits it. Never quite. And he doesn't like he misses Phantom of the Opera pretty spectacularly. But even like stuff with like flatliners like that. I love that movie. But but just everything about it is a little bit uncanny valley. Like, why is the city so empty? Why is everything blue? Why is Kevin Bacon scaling a wall? Like, there's just all these bizarro elements to Joel Schumacher movies that don't, I mean, nipple Batman nipples, another great example. Batman and Robin was one of my favorite movies as a child. Yeah. Should have figured out I was gay way sooner. (laughs) Cause I was just, I like fast forwarded to just the poison Ivy parts. That's Uma, right? Yeah. And Uma knows what she is doing in that film. Does she? She's the only intentional person in that entire film. Everybody else thinks they're in, like a Nolan movie. That's the thing is like Joel Schumacher, but uh, to, but that's another problem with him is I don't think he explains to people the movie they're <laughs> in because every performance in all of his movies are, are like all over the place. 
in this movie especially, exactly one person knows what movie she's in, and it's Minnie Driver. Okay. <laughs> Minnie Driver, who, first of all, where'd she go? Where'd she's she, back. Where? She's on Speechless now. She's on, no kidding. Yeah, she's the mom. Oh, good for her. Because I, where was she? Um, so she, she plays, okay. So Family of the Opera 2004, Joel Schumacher just misses the mark entirely, but especially in casting his two leads, horrendous. <laughs> And it's, but it's great because you just watch people giving it their all and it's bad. <laughs> and that's exciting to watch. Gerard Butler mm-hmm. is the Phantom of the Opera. Major issue with this casting is Gerard Butler cannot sing. A secondary issue I would say is Gerard Butler cannot act. But in this case, <laughs> the fact that he can't sing is the most glaring issue because he has like 50 songs to sing and he can't, he can sing zero of them. It's <laughs> crazy i he doesn't have the phantom of the opera doesn't have a beard no either and jared butler cannot not have a beard he looks so strange he beardless. looks weird yeah because he look it it's like you would think that he would have a baby face but his baby face is old looking like a vigo mortensen yeah yeah mm-hmm. but like not in a grizzled or compelling way you know who has a tram stamp Wait. vigo mortensen <laughs> What is it? Is it what? I can't. I feel like it's tribal. I can't remember right of course now. It's, of course, um, Vigo Mortensen has a tribal <laughs> tram stamp. In that um, remake of Psycho, they have like his full, a full backle shot instead of like no! yeah, like how um, the character Marion Crane, you see her bra in the original. It's so shocking for the sixties. Yeah. So they go for man butt in the remake. <laughs> okay. To like titillate and shock in the same way, that and you very see his tram Schumacher. stamp. Well, it's Gus Van Sant, so that's pretty Schumacher. Right, that's Schumacher adjacent. <laughs> Him, uh, Gus Van Sant, Gore Verbinski, I feel like. Gore Ver- of, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. what lies beneath? It's all this sort of same The holy trinity toned. of, like, going for something yeah. <laughs> with mixed results. There, so Gerard Butler is really bad. He looks bad. The Phantom of the Opera is supposed to be disfigured. But in this movie, I don't know, like, if, like, an intern did the makeup on this movie or whatever. But... Like, <laughs> It's supposed to, there's like this big moment in Phantom of the Opera where he takes off his Phantom of the Opera mask and it's like this horrifying, like grizzled, but for him, it's like a couple pimples. <laughs> he looks totally fine. Is he supposed to big... be like burned or something? Unclear what happened okay. to him. Also, the story does not, like uh, Joel Schumacher changes stuff from the musical that you would think would be to resolve original plot holes. But it actually makes things far worse, uh, where he instead does this, like, carnival backstory where, like, the Phantom of the Opera as a baby, not as a baby, as a kid, was, like, kept in a monkey cage. (laughs) And everyone's, like, pointing at him, like, he looks like shit. And it's like, does he? He kind of just looks like a kid. And then, but then flash forward to him being an adult and he sort of looks like shit, but he mostly just looks like Gerard Butler. (laughs) And then there's that, I mean... The Phantom of the Opera story is like that whole weird thing that I feel like has fucked me up forever where it's like, uh, what do you call it? Like a uh, creepy dude abducts a young woman and re-educates her and it's supposed to be very horny. Yeah. Which happens. Beating the, be- the Beast plot. Beating the Beast, V for Vendetta, it happens too. Oh, yeah. Like it, it, it happens in so many movies and it's supposed to be like, look at this beautiful bond. Like it's horrifying um and then so he so gerard butler kidnaps emmy rossum who also she can like sing better but not better than any like singer soprano in a high school chorus (laughs) like she can't really sing she's to borrow a phrase a little pitchy dog it's not (laughs) it's it's like not great But everyone's like, oh, she's the best. And then he kidnaps her and they have zero chemistry because in the movie, Joel Schumacher, apparently pervert, ages her down. Oh. Where in the musical, she's like eight, between 18 and 20, legal. In the movie, Schumacher's like, we got to make her 16 and we also have to cast an underage actress, which is what he did. Gerard Butler is like, God knows how old, 75 years old. <laughs> As the Phantom of the Opera. And Emmy Rossum is straight up 16. And she's like, ah, and he takes her and they kiss and it's awful. Oh. It's awful. And Patrick Wilson's there and he does a great job. Oh, yeah. Patrick Wilson. I know that I'm saying all these things that are bad, but it's actually good. 
because I just, there's something about when someone gives it their absolute all and you can tell that this consumed them for months, if not years, and it's still like every decision is wrong. It's there's something very pure and beautiful about it hmm. to me there. And also it meant the world to me when I was a kid. I loved this movie. I've seen it a million times and I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time. I was like, Gerard Butler, amazing singer. I think I prefer as far as bad movies or bad anything. Mm-hmm. I think I'm more of a person who likes the things that are sort of farted out that you, you can mean? tell took no effort and people th- put no thought into what they were doing. <laughs> it's a different kind of compelling for sure. I think that you get when there's like that lack of oversight, you get like mm-hmm. these weird little like moments of truth or resonance or whatever that come from it that, that are to- like totally unintentional kind of thing. accidental. It's like Those finding patterns in TV static or something. <laughs> right, right. Where you're just like, well, there's something to this, but but who, who's it was no one's idea there's a few i mean i i also have a thing for biopics that were clearly rushed into production the second the per, the subject died oh, no. those are really great i love those uh like the have you ever seen the ashton kutcher steve jobs movie no i just saw the cover of it Ooh, it is a stinky one. Oh, it i've seen so bad i've seen um liz and dick the oh Lifetime movie where <laughs> Lindsay Lohan plays Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. I can't oh, believe I wow. haven't seen that one. It's it, it took two to three weeks to watch, but <laughs> I liked every moment that I was watching it. It was just eventually just I would like get to a point where overload. I was like, this is... This has to stop. <laughs> and I'll, I'll pick you up later. Right. There's, there is... Yeah, like... There's something so, like, disgusting about when people do that, when they're, like, waiting. Like, they're, like, the corpse is not even cold. And they're, <laughs> they're like, uh, we, are, we are five hours into pre-production. We have a script ready. I, I mean, it's weird. Like, there's, I used to work uh, at a, a mag- I mean, I guess it's a mag- I used to work at Playboy. And we had, uh, we had a, like, Hugh Hefner's death issue ready a year and a half before he died which is like super morbid and like kind of gross but then you're like oh i guess that makes sense but i think that that must happen with biopics too because otherwise how like jobs the steve jobs movie came out less than a year after and with like ashton kutcher giving it 150 (laughs) percent and again just like sucking harder than anyone's ever sucked at anything in their entire life god i love it i love it so much <laughs> yeah and they, speaking of you have heard that uh docu or biopic about him was going to happen mm-hmm. about a month after he died but then everyone involved is a serial predator so i think they <laughs> shut down production <laughs> it was like the star the director and the subject were all facing we're all <laughs> like <laughs> accusations wait who was supposed to star in it I want to say James Franco. Uh, I think it was Brian Singer, James, James Franco. Dying to oh, Hugh God. Hefner. That's amazing. That is actually like a triple whammy. Of, <laughs> I wonder how many projects there are. Like in the future, we'll look back and be like, oh, there were these several high profile things where just entire cast, crew, interns, <laughs> everyone was a rapist. And so <laughs> it just could not occur. It's, oh, God. So biopics that happen too fast are amazing because they're always, uh, you know, a little bit too crazy of their... I mean, speaking of it, this sort of falls into the next category where did you see The Disaster Artist? No. I saw it. I disliked it so intensely. I stole it off the internet because I refused to give James Franco my money. (laughs) He's a dirty... Oh, God. That's another one where it's a director and subject Mm -hmm. are abusive. Right, right. Because uh, Tommy Wiseau is like a total creep. Yeah, nightmare. Uh, and James, but but the, you know James Franco he got uh, a trophy. <laughs> Gave him a little trophy for that. They sure did. Whew. But that movie, I mean, yeah, there. I that movie, not aside from the fact that it's made by a predator about a predator. Love the continuity. Like fup fup. <laughs> But like there, there's like a, I don't know, like seeing that movie, I'm like, oh, you shouldn't make a movie about someone's life while they're still alive. 
because it will just be a little bit too nice to them. Because otherwise they'll like sue you and they'll be I like, think, hey, that was mean. Yeah, but then for a lot of movies too, then the estate will get involved if you don't do that too. Oh, that's true. I feel like it, there is like a weird pull because if you are just doing a hatchet job, that kind of sucks. And if you right. are being too fawning, that is also terrible. And in general, if you are making, I have a whole thing, um, beef with TV shows and movies and books that like hate their protagonists or all of their characters. You like it or hate it? Hate it. Hate I, it. I, I can't like, stand yeah. things where I can tell the writer doesn't like the people they're writing about. I'm like, then right. fucking don't. Then, yeah, let someone else do it. <laughs> let, you know, let someone else do it. Write something that is people that you like. You know, I watch things as a substitute for human contact, so I want to hang out with people that I like, so don't give me a bunch of monsters. Right. There's like a with. self-flagellatory thing. I also yeah. just like don't like. This is just a list of things I don't like at this point. Absolutely fine. That's what we're here for. (laughs) I also just like really despise. And it's fortunately sort of starting to clear a little bit, especially in TV. But like in the thick of it, like late 2000s, when it's like, we love flawed male protagonists. If a man is being hateful towards everyone in his life, oh, we love him. We have to like that, like. Basically, like, you know, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, like, and all of its, you know. Milk. Yeah, yeah. That whole generation of, like, damaged man commits crimes, hits women, bad father, but. Strong jaw. Strong jaw, life hard, punch is good. Like, just, <laughs> like, I hated it when it was happening, but I don't think I had, like, the language to articulate. I still haven't seen Breaking Bad. At this point, I don't think. I ever will, but I had, I mean, every guy I dated in high school and college was like, Ugh! like, not, like, you know, yeah, had a, like, an erection for it. For the uh, four million years it was on, for all four million seasons of Breaking Bad. And yeah, it's one of those things, too, where allegedly the fandom is the one that's misguided. And Vince Gilligan is always like, no, you weren't supposed to like him. It's like, that's why I made a show about him. And well, you that put goes him in a positive saying. light the whole time. It's like, Right, it's like, sometimes that that is, like, a weird thing with, like, shows. I mean, like, Rick and Morty is kind of another example of, like, shows that attract horrible people that, and then the creator's like, oh, there's not, whoops, don't, (laughs) I I don't know, and it's like, well... I never meant to be a role model, et cetera. Right, I didn't didn't get into this business to teach, and it's like, (laughs) uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. I I was raised Quaker in a very mm-hmm. social justice household. My mom's a therapist. My dad's a political scientist. Like, they go to, like, weekly anti-nuclear meetings still. Oh, my God. That like, my parents are so much better than me. Anti-nuclear? Oh, yeah. They're back. They're, yeah, but it was, like, from, from then to now, they haven't missed a week. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. The peace and so- it's called Peace and Social Concerns, and it's a committee that meets every week or month. I can't remember which. I love the word concerns being involved. <laughs> not, like, outrage. Like, we're just concerned. So I'm, like, I'm not a disappointment per se for going into, like, comedy. No. But I kind of am. <laughs> really? Because I, I was going to be a social worker, and then I didn't. I did this instead. Oh, okay. Well, um, I mean, comedy is not better than social work for sure. But that, <laughs> oh, but the the point of this whole uh, ragged on myself thing is that I do kind of believe that the point of art in general is to like flex your empathy muscle, mm-hmm. like because there's only so many people in your that you can hold in your brain as fully functioning human beings with interiority and stuff. And to me, what, like, especially television has been very useful for being able to do is to, like, rapidly switch who's in my 150 that I can conceive of as a human. Right. So it goes, like, too far where I worry sometimes if I'm, like, sorting knives and spoons in a drawer that, like, I'm breaking up, like, a fork and a knife that are in love or something. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's... That was more a childhood concern. I don't think I do that anymore. That's so beautiful and empathetic and that has never in my life occurred to me <laughs> and now I wish I had that's so beautiful because they met in the dishwasher and now I'm breaking them up and who knows when they'll see each other again right but they will someday 
I mean, there's only so many knives and forks. That's true. That's true. Especially, <laughs> especially if you're in a small household, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> that's really nice. Um. So, but from that, I don't understand why I like bad movies and TV so much. If I thought the point of art was to like create empathy, if I'm kind of right. laughing at stuff <laughs> the whole time. Right. I mean, the whole sh- Schadenfreude thing is confusing it, it's like confusing to my brain and my body but I definitely respond to it <laughs> and I love it I don't know that's why I kind of do like when sincere art fails because I, I like when people put a lot of you know thought into it and care and it <laughs> but they might just suck at what they're doing <laughs> And that is that is really fun for me to watch. And that's and it's partially mean, but it's also partially like, man, you and it is usually men that do it. It's like, man, just no one at any point said why. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Joel, Joel Schumacher, don't do that. Can you explain to me the plot of Phantom of the Opera? Or maybe I should try and explain the plot of Phantom of the Opera to you as I have absorbed it from I would love to hear what your take on it is. Okay. Here's what I think happens. Okay. So there's a girl, there's a blonde girl. Well, it's wrong already. She's brunette. She's brunette. She's brunette. There's a girl Mm. of indeterminate hair color (laughs) named Christine. Yes. Named Christine. Who gets kidnapped by a dude in a mask and there are underground gondolas. That part in every permutation of this story is confusing. (laughs) Like under an opera house. Yes, Paris Opera House. Paris Opera House. And he teaches her how to sing real good. Yes. Also, her daddy did. Her daddy did. Her daddy did. Her daddy says, I, I, I will send you an angel teacher. Oh, Weird plot I device. I don't like that. Yeah. Okay, so he's like a dad lover character. He's, oh, he's fully daddied out. Yeah. Where, like, and yet no beard. No beard for daddy. Which is the name of... <laughs> My new, uh, my new novel. <laughs> no beard for daddy. No, it, it, so there is no beard for daddy. So Christine is like an orphan. You know, one of those ballet orphans you've heard about where they're oh, like. Yeah, those. Yeah, where they're like, well, she doesn't have any parents. Better send her to the ballet <laughs> where she lives with who? Unclear. She appears to live in her dressing room, but she doesn't know the phantom. She's never seen his face. Okay. She just he just yells at her through like the pipes, and that's how he teaches her. Okay, yelling through like, I don't, they don't show in. That's a plot point in Paddington too, as well. Really, I haven't seen Paddington too. I'm afraid that I'm too heartless to enjoy it. I did not like it as much as Paddington one. Oh, I well, loved that's... Paddington one, and I, I was just like openly weeping about a pro-immigration narrative at this mm. time. In both America and the UK. Yeah. And I was like, we need this right now. <laughs> he isn't panic as a refugee. His home was destroyed by deforestation. And just like snot coming out of everything. Every, yeah. My, uh, I mean, my, my, podcast co-host Caitlin has seen Paddington two probably six times. I've seen I Tanya four times. <laughs> I love I Tanya. Paddington so two does have a Hugh Grant. Uh, prison musical at the end. Really? Yeah, he dances. I'm, I'm in, here in for that. Pink uh, prison stripes. I, for some reason, I was originally like because Paddington. I know that it's good, but it does look like a movie that could super suck mm-hmm. in a way. In the way that like the Smurfs sucked. Mm-hmm. So I kept drawing the the parallel between like Hugh Grant and Paddington with like Neil Patrick Harris and the Smurfs. But I I, I I'm super wrong. Right. It's more like Willem Dafoe and Mr. Bean's Holiday, which oh, okay. is a great movie. I haven't seen it. I love it. Whoa. I didn't know that Willem Dafoe was in that movie. That sounds like a trip. I, I watched the, the Boss Baby for the first time this week. Okay. And it took me so long to figure out who Steve Buscemi was in that movie. They really bury Buscemi. You in can't a do that to Buscemi. You can't. Why have him there if you're going to bury him? There was just, <laughs> I was just like staring at that. And like the person I was we were like, who... Where's Steve at? And it took so... His his character had been in three scenes by the... We were like, that was Steve the whole time. It was unbelievable. Don't bury Buscemi. So then... So she learns how to sing real good, gets kidnapped, and then 
there's a different boy? Like there's a is there like another Patrick singer Wilson. man? No, there's not another singer man. There's a guy, there's a rich guy that shows up. Who okay. Apparently she knew before she had no parents. His name's Raul. He's played deftly with a middle part by Patrick Wilson in one of his first movie roles ever. And Patrick Wilson is one of the only actors that comes out of this movie movie with their career unscathed because it hurts Gerard Butler big time. Hurts, I would argue it hurts Emmy Ross. It definitely time. hurt Emmy Ross. I mean, she didn't recover be- until the Shameless. Right. Say. And it was like, in, you could argue it kind of booted her to TV um, when that was maybe not the best thing that could happen to you. Uh, Gerard Butler, I mean, yeah, this was supposed to be Gerard Butler's big. He was cast in this before he was cast in 300. Like, huh. this was supposed to be his big. And he blows it. He blows it. He does so <laughs> bad. Patrick Wilson can sing. Patrick Wilson can pull off a middle part, which is more than you can say for anyone else in the cast. Anyone else in life, in the I world. would say. As I have a middle part, but I'm trying to think of like a like a dude with a short middle part, and like I can't. And long hair too, shoulder length. Wow. He, so my hair is what you're saying. Yeah. He. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he kills it, and it's you're just like, this shouldn't work. So Patrick Wilson plays me. There's yes. a love triangle. Yes. And a chandelier falls. A chandelier falls. That's all I know. At, uh, there's a kiss. And then it's over. It's like the whole thing is like she loves the rich guy because, of course, she loves the rich guy. <laughs> she's 16. She's got to marry someone uh, so or that she, she can still es- starve to death. Where, so she can escape her life as a, an award-winning opera singer. <laughs> like, none of it really makes that much sense. But she, like, is horny for the Phantom because, like, daddy. But then daddy is, like, fucked up. And so... Daddy ugly. No beard. Daddy daddy has pimples. <laughs> daddy has to wear a mask. There's this climactic <laughs> scene where he's, like... They basically set her as bait so that they can catch the Phantom... And so there's this scene that goes to this song called Point of No Return. Joel Schumacher blows this scene big time. <laughs> it is the climax of the movie. For some reason, Joel Schumacher throws in like 12 tango dancers into the scene that throughout the climax of the movie, Gerard Butler and Emmy Rossum are like howling at each other like cats because they can't sing. <laughs> and then there's just like 12 tango dancers in the like what it's so distracting it's okay. crazy i know you're describing the plot of phantom of the opera 2004 <laughs> but you're also describing the plot of moulin rouge 2000 that's, exactly i think that that's like he middle part rich guy lady is bait doesn't want to be in showbiz anymore wants can't to marry really a rich man. Sing. nobody can sing Neither can sing i love tango I climax love, i think that that is why like i think that's part of like why Joel Schumacher sucks so bad is because he's like uh, it, it worked for Moulin Rouge let's just bring in some tango dancers <laughs> there's a few elements in this movie that sort of remind me of Chicago too where he's just like movie musicals what can we do <laughs> just like stole random <laughs> disparate elements that don't fit why, are there, why would there be tango dancers in France doesn't make sense no not for the time and then at the end yeah so then the phantom brings everybody to the basement he <laughs> drops the chandelier. Everyone freaks out. Patrick Wilson falls into a series of booby traps. <laughs> that takes like 10 whole minutes, but he gets out of all the booby traps because he's Patrick Wilson and gets down to the basement. Now the Phantom and Christine are howling at each other in the basement. <laughs> the Phantom's basement apartment is like flooded with water, sort of, but also there's candles, but it looks like it smells. Yeah, uh, it's just like standing water. It's stagnant bog water. It's cool. disgusting. Uh, it's, so so it's not even, it's just mosquito bites it's, on his face. Yeah. It's yeah, just because, because he lives, he in, lives bog. Yeah, in an incubator for mosquitoes. He, so he, they're standing in stagnant bog water. And the Phantom's like, uh, come on. I'm daddy. Like, and Christine's like, okay, interesting point. The Phantom tries to kill Patrick Wilson through what in retrospect and I had to watch several video essays before I understood fully how crazy it is because I just accepted it as law when I saw it in 2004 but he tries to kill 
Raul, that's Patrick Wilson, by like tying him to a grate and like tying a rope, like tying a noose to his neck, but not attaching the noose to anything. So there's just, so it looks threatening because there's a noose in the frame. Okay. (laughs) But but no one's holding it and it's not attached to anything. But the stakes are so high for some reason where she's like, I don't know what to do. He's going to die when it's like, no, he's just tied to a grate and there's a noose around his neck, but he can't, he can't. But the noose isn't tied to the grate even. It's just loose. It's a loose noose. It's a total loose noose. It's a loosey goosey noose. And, (laughs) and, but somehow everyone's like, Oh no, something terrible is going to happen. So watching that scene now is again, anyone could have stopped. No, you know, Joel Schumacher been like, should we like, put this news in someone's hand even like anyone should have been they don't missed opportunity to have the story make sense uh and then the other the other thing that i hate about like man captures teenage girl and (laughs) forces her to fall in love with him or whatever is she's like the only way i can escape and save my loosey goosey newsboy is to kiss daddy (laughs) yeah so she kisses daddy and he's like i'm gonna kill myself or whatever because of it was like that bad of a kiss or he just like finally felt the full weight of his crimes or i think that he like yeah he like probably soils himself right because this kid finally kisses him right he's a little freak (laughs) so she kisses him and then she's like okay can we leave now and he's like yeah get out of (laughs) here Let's them both go. I just wanted to kiss one teen before I die. <laughs> right. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? And then he has like, there's, there's this weird central prop that makes no, like that's makes sense in the musical. Doesn't make sense in the movie. He's got a little music box with a monkey on it. And so at the end, he's holding his little monkey mu- music box. He's like, oh, my teenager left. Me. Did he have like a pet monkey when he was in the circus? Yes, there is a monkey that he hangs out with in okay. his monkey cage. So it's just like, that's like an emotional tie to the monkey. He loves monkeys. He loves monkeys. He loves, he loves little monkey, monkey, his friend. <laughs> Monkey him friend. Monkey no judge. Monkey no judge him. Monkey don't mind him pimple. (laughs) Monkey him friend. Pimple okay. Ironically, the monkey died of malaria from living in the stagnant (laughs) bog water. (laughs) Yeah, we don't get any word of where the the monkey went. My greatest love, a monkey killed by my greatest, my other greatest love. Just living in fetid water. There's he's there's so much of this movie where the fandom is up to his waist oh, in God. bog water. So he, waist. So he probably deep. his face has a few zits, but he probably has full on trench foot. <laughs> That's true. He probably does have trench foot. Oh. But he but on top of oh, and he also has somehow there also it's like one of those weird. This is another thing that's in V for Vendetta, where V is like this savant and like good at everything. And it's like, I have a room full of dominoes and you're, that's another movie that everyone loves that I don't like. Uh, but it's like, look at my dominoes room. And it's like, Oh, this looked cool in the comic book, but it looks fucking crazy in real life <laughs> there. And then I also am a painter and a blah, 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 but you cannot see my face. They sort of go that for this in Phantom of the Opera, but again, they don't fully commit to it where for some reason, like the Phantom of the Opera is quote unquote, the most amazing singer in the world. But somehow it's also Gerard Butler and has Gerard Butler's voice. Uh, and also is an artiste because we see when he takes Christine down to the stagnant bog water the first time, he has made a full wax dummy of her wearing a wedding dress. Great. <laughs> that she looks at, passes out. He lays her in his little bog water bed. She falls. She she's, And then she wakes up and she's like, I love him. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Oh no! He oh ma- no! He made a me. This is right. You and that's like one of those moments that I can like look at and like see myself seeing this movie when I was like eleven or twelve and be like, "Oh, that's where things went wrong." Just, <laughs> like, look at this scary arts and crafts project I made about you. Do you love me? And she's like, "Yes, I do." There's something so annoying about that trope of somebody who has every kind of intelligence but emotional intelligence. Like, right, yeah. That they, they can do everything except for relate to usually a woman. <laughs> like, right. another, like they were a person. And they never... And the thing is, like, 
most of those characters never really succeed. Like, it's like the woman's job to meet them halfway and be like, yeah, he's a freak, but him paint good, and so I will fix him. It's never like, oh, let me... Like, oh, we need to set up some boundaries. Right, of like, you actually cannot make a wax dummy of me (laughs) that I have to assume you're having sex with. Like, it was chillingly real (laughs) (laughs) you couldn't see where the holes were drilled but you had to assume they were there they're probably under the dress i mean very tasteful he's a great artiste (laughs) very tasteful his bog water dummy is so disgusting i I hate this movie so much but i love it (laughs) so let's go into the things that you hate that you just actually hate okay things that i actually hate uh so something that people like that i think is scary trash is Magic and magicians. Okay. Do you like magic? No. Thank you. I have no interest. There are people in my life who I have been fully floored by what an interest they've like. When people come to visit me from from home, they're like, I got to go to the magic castle. It's like, actually, you and no one has to go to the magic (laughs) castle. And if we stopped going, they would close it. And And then it would just be a nice house. And then, yeah. And then some crazy demented like Scientologist. Magnate, Scientologist could move in and Scientology could be born again there <laughs> but I don't I just I used to I've like put up so much with people who enjoy magic that in the past year or so I've just been like a hard line we don't fuck with magic anymore uh will I see the greatest showman absolutely not P.T. Barnum, major trigger. Yeah, but he's not even a magician. He's just like a, a flim flam man. Magician. Okay, yeah, I would say I would expect. But he's it in to, like he's got the same coat on, so I can see the magician aesthetic. I find yeah. pretty repulsive. Yes, all I, I I grow weary of the carnival aesthetic. Oh, it's it is like, like knife throwing and exhausting. Another thing about me about my childhood that explains a lot. I was raised by larpers. You, oh my God! <laughs> Concerned citizens and LARPers, <laughs> truly. Ma- okay, wait. Yeah, okay, I, w- I would like to hear more about that. So immediately, yeah. They um they raised me in the Society for Creative Anachronism, which is like medieval times recreation plus scholarship. It's like okay. even nerdier than like people who like throw fake lightning bolts and stuff because SA people are like they didn't have that, and. As a result, I kind of hate all fantasy because, to me, it's just fake medieval stuff, and I don't right. like. So, like, Game of Thrones, I could not fuck with because there were dragons, and all this fantasy I, yeah. bullshit. And I'm like, no, shush. I'm I so tired. I don't. I mean, that totally. I mean, that's like a form of rebellion too. It was very. It was very fuck you, dad, to just shun I hate dragons. dragons. <laughs> I, that's that's how I feel about this ice sports i'm like actually i think they're stupid and yet like, you've seen i tanya four times <laughs> listen <laughs> i as an adult i'm able to share my parents interests i yeah i tanya is the i'm i there is a high probability i will go see it tonight <laughs> it's so good but there i my dad is a hockey reporter and so oh, wow. he would always be like time to go see hockey and i would say time to you know not but now (laughs) but now i'm both into figure skating and just zambonis conceptually so i came around but growing up did not did not do it do you know what is the best of both figure skating and zambonis is curling Ooh, that is true because it's all about changing the grade like the level of the ice Mm -hmm. there is some like self-zambonying in I did you know the Zamboni factory is like close to here? It's like an hour away from here. No. Yeah, and I've requested like they there's for some reason like it's prominently displayed on the Zamboni website of like no tours. Is it like proprietary design or something? Are they worried about like I don't know. I don't like a, what could they possibly be concerned about? Is I it like don't a Willy know. Wonka thing where it turns out <laughs> There's, like, all these child murder devices inside the Zamboni factory. <laughs> and, like, slave labor at play. There's, like, 500 deep roys in the Zamboni factory. Zeke Zamboni is this uh, eccentric billionaire. It is the, it is the Zamboni family, too, Fuck, which I think amazing. is so great. I was like, that, the hubris of it all is just fascinating. Why 
it, did they, why is it, why are they based in California? If they're ice sport people, a million questions. My dad also gave me a lecture the other day about on how Zambonis are going extinct and how I better make the most of it while they're still around. Why would they be going? I would assume that there'd be nothing but increasing demand for Zambonis as real ice just becomes more and more scarce. <laughs> That's true. There's a, I guess that there's like more, I mean, Zambonis are large, cumbersome, uh, not fuel efficient, <laughs> and they're basically the same as just pouring a bucket of water on ice. Mm. So I think that there are just like more efficient ways to do it. Are they using like drones or something now? Something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So self icing ice, <laughs> something fancy that doesn't require a large vehicle. But I, <laughs> but I, I loved, I worked at a skating rink growing up. And my boss was the Zamboni driver, and his name was One Arm Steve, and you'll never guess why. <laughs> because he had three arms. Yeah, yeah it was a misnomer. He had, <laughs> he had only arms and no legs. <laughs> <laughs> he had arms for legs. <laughs> he had one arm. So why, why do you... So, what is it about magicians oh, right. that just I I get kind of yicked out when I find out that like a comedian or any entertainer started out as a magician? Something about right. that says you're a sociopath to me. Yeah, I I would my romantic history is littered with magicians and drummers. Like pretty much they fall into one or the other, and one time both. Oh no, and that was no good. But, but magician and drummer is like that Apollonian Dionysian dichotomy. <laughs> I would say by and large, like drummers have not really let me down that much. Magicians have exclusively just horrifying people because I mean, it's based on like you're playing God. You're tricking people. You're, you you're, love lying. It's like, oh yeah. It's like, oh, you're addicted to lying. Great start. <laughs> To a relationship. Uh, you're addicted to lying. You're addicted to wearing coats with tails. Like, there's just... I don't know. I've never even been to the Magic Castle. And the reason for that is even worse, which is that that means I've never dated a good magician. <laughs> <laughs> never been to the Magic Castle and never dated a magician who's been invited to the Magic Castle. So, I, uh, I don't know. I just... I've been to enough card shops i've been to enough people who enjoy magic are i like people who like watching people enjoy magic is better than magic hmm. watching people be amazed is very exciting watching people perform magic and watching the face of a magician as he reveals his trick is pornographic and disgusting yeah it's the, gross that's the smugness it's yeah it's it it ties into a lot of like it's such a certain type of person I find disgusting and being like really confident and like not only yourself, but like your delivery and like, yeah, like just so confident in an aesthetic and profession that is inherently the stupidest thing in the world. And they're like, um, <laughs> check it out. And you're just like, listen, you know who doesn't have hubris like this? Drummers. <laughs> Drummers know where they stand. They know where they're at and they're cool about it. Magicians need to be center stage, need to be flipping cards, need to be pulling things out of places they don't belong, and there's a two-drink minimum. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I hate it. Magicians must... All magicians must go. <laughs> no more magic, 2018. <laughs> no more magic, 2018. Jamie? Although I would recommend checking out the pictures of Hugh Jackman behind the scenes for the greatest showman but without any of the cgi oh wow <laughs> it is there's pictures of hugh jackman on like what is that like a horse like a horse like a bucking bronco kind of thing mm. um because i guess it's supposed to look like he's riding oh. a horse in the greatest oh showman. yeah 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 but it's hugh jackman up against the green screen on like a fake horse torso looking happier than anyone's ever looked in their entire i have to locate it and show you i know that this is a uh vocal medium but it's we can put it in the show notes it's an emergency yeah i mean there are certain there are certain elements that is like you no, know, but i mean as far as magicians go as people uh they're bad did you feel really vindicated when david copperfield 
became one of the men purged I've from the I've never earth. been less surprised to hear anything in my entire life. Like, there, yeah. I mean, and not that, I'm not saying all... The, not all magicians. Not all magicians, but certainly most magicians. <laughs> Well, That's the fact that it's certainly most magicians so intertwined with the pickup artist, like close magic especially, is so right. closely intertwined with the pickup artist community. Yeah, that's that, true. Like, there that's you go. Fun. Like, here's the picture of Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> it's the oh, I think he's supposed to be on an elephant because it's like <laughs> how they take the elephant from one place to another. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> He's supposed to be riding an elephant in this picture. This is my favorite picture. I think I think the CGI artists are the real magicians. I would say that Hugh Jackman's really giving a stellar performance. You would never guess that he's just sitting on something in a warehouse. He seems fine. Hugh he's, Jackman? Yeah, he seems fine. I don't think he's has he has he done anything wrong? No, he just likes dancing. Yeah, he should, he's, he's just, just a like a little dance, dance man. Guy. Good for him. I like, you know what? He can stay. He can stay. He can, even though he's d- done the whole showman look, he can stay. He's magic adjacent, but I'm a merciful god. He can stay. We'll let it slide this he time. He can stay. Jamie, where can people find you online? Uh, uh, ooh, you can find me on Twitter at hamburger phone, and uh, or on Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar. And your podcast is the Bechdel Cast. Yes. Uh, new episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us at BechdelCast.com. And you can find me at BethyBSQU on Twitter and at Bethy Squires on Instagram. And I still haven't made any social media presence for this show. And I'm punk rock. Deeply sorry about that. It's very punk rock <laughs> and I respect it. <laughs> well, 